Hello, happy weekend everybody, and welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast. I'm back here for a little fun episode for this week with my friend John. How's it going, John? I'm doing well, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing much better after the results from yesterday, and we'll cover all those early in the week. But for now, as it is our weekend episode, we've been reaching out to you guys for some questions, looking at some discussions going on and all about the jersey. And as is the tradition, John, I have a game prepared for you. Okay, so what is this game about? Are we going to compare New Jersey Devils to former New York Giants tight end uh, Mark Bavaro? <laughs> so hockey versus Bavaro is not quite as catchy as hockey versus Shockey. No, but, it isn't. And I also don't know much about Mark Bavaro. <laughs> and that's fine, too, because you don't have to for the purposes of this game. But I hope you're brushed up on a different aspect of sports, because as catchy as hockey versus Shockey is, today we're going to be playing hockey versus jockey. Oh, boy. <laughs> Now, John, I have a list of players here, and I'm currently working on a project for myself here, and I've landed on the 1990 NHL entry draft, the full list. So I'm going to give you a name that either oh. appears on that list, and, or I'm going to give you a name of a professional jockey. Now, we're not talking disc jockeys, we're talking the big horse kind. So we're going to figure out, can you tell if this is a hockey player or a jockey? This is going to be a train wreck. I know nothing about horse racing. I hope you know something about the deep rounds of the 1990 NHL draft then. Oh, boy. Because uh, I don't think this game is going to be easy by any means, but that's just where we landed, and it's appropriate given it's the 30-year anniversary of that draft, which featured one Martin Brodeur. Ah, so this is David Kant's uh, finest hour, because apparently the Devils had, if I recall correctly, like 14 picks, and 11 of them at least made it to the NHL, which, especially back then, like, you know, even if you just play one game, like one cup of coffee in the NHL, that's like a success for some of these super late-round picks. Yeah, and so this draft was interesting also in that um, of the 21 players drafted in the first round that year, there were 14 that played at least 500 games, and nine that played at least a thousand, which is one of the deepest drafts I think in history. Oh, absolutely! That was the Yager draft, and if I recall correctly, he did not go first overall that year, which is he remarkable in retrospect. Yeah, exactly. I don't think was he, he was not the first European player either. Uh, he sure was not. And do you happen to know who that was? Oh, I want to say it was Peter Nedved. It was Peter Nedved at second overall. Just for a bonus point before we even start this game, do you remember who the first overall pick was in 1990? Owen Nolan. Indeed, Owen Nolan going to the Quebec Nordiques was that first pick. And when I said at least 500 games, 14 of them, two of them reached 900. So they're quite close to that 1,000-game mark, including Nedved himself, who was only 18 off from playing 1,000. So, you know, there's a lot of success going in the first round of this draft, uh, I don't know about the deeper rounds, but we'll see how no. you do. Yep. Let's, <laughs> okay. let's, let's ride into this. Uh, let's ride into this, Dan. Okay. Hockey or jockey. Your first question. Is this a hockey player or a jockey? Frank Kovacs. I want to say he is a hockey player. He is a hockey player. He was drafted by the Minnesota North Stars 71st overall. <laughs> oh, goodness. Did not play a single game in the NHL. So, nice guess there. I like that. Yep, that was 
Very much a guess. I assure to the listeners, I do not have Hockey DB open. I don't have Elite Prospects open. You're not hearing a keyboard type in here. Uh, what's in front of my face right now is something entirely different and a question for Dan later. But <laughs> it has nothing to do with the 1990 NHL entry draft. All right, we move on here. Your next name is Brad Zavisha. Oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, I'm going to guess Jockey. That is hockey as well. Drafted oh. 43rd overall by the Quebec Nordiques. First pick of the third round. Played in two, count them, two NHL games. Well done, Brad. So well that's done. one and one so far. Next question moving on. We have Tyler Bays. Tyler Bays. Can you spell Bays for me, please? Absolutely. That is spelled B-A-Z-E. I'm going to guess Jockey. That is indeed a Jockey. Tyler Bates. Okay. Uh, jockey extraordinaire. You'll have to forgive me. I don't know anything about him. Are there any famous horse racing jockeys, Dan? Oh, there, there's several of the modern ones. Uh, I think whoever was on American Pharaoh was pretty popular <laughs> at the time, you know. Whoever was on it. I mean, you don't I think, think about the jockeys. All. You think about the horses, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> he cares about who rides the horse. They well, care about the horse. That's why this game is so exciting, John. Oh. You never know what you can get. This is true. I feel like if you challenge Eddie Olchek with this, he'll probably tell you not only the jockeys, but the breeding, the farm, <laughs> the barns. Well, yeah, that's why, uh, that's why NBC is hitting him up for coverage every single time there's a race. Yep, he he loves the ponies. Okay, next question. Stefan Pasquier. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I wish I had a coin with me. I might as well flip it. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to guess Jockey. Jockey, indeed correct. Stefan Pasquier, Pasquier. He, uh, in October 2006, he won the 85th Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. So, congratulations oh, oh, to him. Oh, of course. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the infamous horse race, that, oh. that thing. <laughs> you gotta love it. And I think we'll make this the last question, since this is a very unforgiving game. But you're doing a great job so far. You're 3-1 and one with the bonus point for Owen Nolan. So, you've already won. This is just for bragging rights at this point. Yep. So... Your last question is Eric LaCroix. Hockey. Hockey, indeed. Eric LaCroix, and he played a fair number of games for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He played 472 games for them. Yep, and he was pretty much the definition of he's out there. (laughs) Well, see, for those kinds of players, this is where I look to you because a lot of people are aware of when a player has reached he's out there status, but not as many remember their name. So credit to you, John. You've done great at this game at hockey or jockey. Uh, most of it, I assume, was just guessing, but at least yes, it was. Eric it was LaCroix, really you knew your stuff. So congratulations. Yeah. Great thank job you. on this game, and thank you for indulging my ridiculousness. I shudder to think what other words and terms you could rhyme with uh, hockey for next week's uh, episode. Well, this is a family show, so we'll keep it PG-13, and uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll we'll try to find something that maybe I'll do like sockeye or, or hockey. <laughs> oh boy, something something like that, given the Seattle team coming into the league. But yeah, that's our game for this weekend. Thanks for participating, all of you who knew any of the jockeys out there. Feel free to send us a DM, and we'll send you a congratulatory gift basket. That is not a promise, but I'll definitely think about it. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. So given that it's the weekend episode, we reached out to you guys earlier in the week and we got some responses for some topics to bring up today some things that have been weighing on your mind and it seems that everyone has the same question because all of a sudden Corey schneider has shown a resurgence so john do you want to address those questions from the crowd absolutely so these questions come from twitter members of you the people who matter so jason waterfalls who's at cranman 85 uh, ask this question, which is, are we finally sold on Met Blackwood being this team's number one for the foreseeable future? And related to that, from Jimmy V, a Kane from Kane's Eagles one, and that's Miami Hurricane, so I'm sure he enjoyed uh, Shockey last week, mm-hmm. um, asked the question, hey, who do you think the Devils starting goaltender will be going forward? Well, I'm going to answer Jimmy's question first because it's very easy. It's Mackenzie Blackwood. Right. <laughs> like, this is not a this is not a question. This is not, you know, much of a debate here. Uh, one man has a future. The other guy is playing well in four games. Yeah. So it's, it's the same discussion we were having at the beginning of this year. Same discussion we're having in the middle of the year. And now it's the same discussion at the end. First of all, I want to shout out Jason Waterfalls because that's half of a very catchy lyric. So good for him. Uh, TLC fans out there will know what I'm talking about. But anyway, the Blackwood-Schneider debate has only has not really been a debate, per se. No, it hasn't. It's, there is no debate. It's very clear, and given where they both are in their careers, given their ages, it all signs, every single sign points to Mackenzie Blackwood. Now, this resurgence by Schneider is not to say that he's going to usurp Blackwood. It's to say that, hmm, maybe they don't need to chase another goalie next year in, or this summer in free agency if he can at least be average he just needs to be average if blackwood's gonna be good now these are good signs from schneider saying that he can play against nhl teams again but this happens at the end of the last what two or three regular seasons where he has this giant surge at the back half of the season after kind of getting buried in the first half and these games essentially end up meaningless that he's doing well in. so i don't know like what I'm looking for most is for him to keep it up, but it's going to be as a backup. There's no way that Mackenzie Blackwood loses this job. No, absolutely not. And he shouldn't because in the last two seasons, Blackwood has made 68 appearances. He's technically a rookie, even though he barely missed the cutoff last season. And um, we had all about the jerseys named gave him our call to award, which is going to make things awkward for this year's, yeah. this year's award ceremony. Uh, people who matter, you're going to get a question to answer in terms of what we're going to do about that uh, in the near future. But Blackwood is getting some legitimate Calder pub in the current NHL where the trophy matters and is physical uh, because he has played very well. And over these 68 games, he's got an even strength uh, save percentage of 92.4, which is far and away better than any other goaltender of the last two seasons in New Jersey, including Mr. Schneider. And you're right. De- uh, Corey has played well in his, what I'm going to say is the last hurrah of the season. It's also worth noting that in each of the last two seasons, Schneider, in addition to playing poorly, has suffered an injury. Mm-hmm. And it's entirely possible that the resurgence that we're seeing now and the resurgence that we saw at the end of last season is more of a function of him being finally healthy and recovered from that uh, injury. Since for a lot of players, you don't just jump off uh, IR and immediately start contributing. Usually it takes a couple games at least to get your uh, groove back, so to speak. So for a position like goaltender where... 
you know, you could do a lot of things right and, you know, it may or may not work still. We are seeing a resurgence more so due to health. So my, my main concern isn't so much that he gets buried at the beginning of the season. My concern is that he gets hurt at the beginning of these seasons yeah. and therefore is ineffective. And then it, it, you just have to work it out. But yeah, uh, to answer Jason and to answer Jimmy, Blackwood is the guy. I still think the Devils are going to go out and sign a goaltender. I don't know if the Devils are necessarily going to buy out Schneider. Like the Devils have oodles of cap space. And depending on how much you believe the new uh, rumors of what the new uh, salary cap is going to be for next season, they're going to have even more oodles, right. mega oodles of cap space. So <laughs> it doesn't matter if you have $6 million on the books not being met because you still need to beat the floor. Who cares? Yeah. It hasn't been a problem this season. It hasn't. Been, it wasn't even a problem during the expensive uh, offseason last summer. So, you know, I still think the Devils will go out and seek a goaltender. But, yeah, Blackwood has more than proven himself. He's faced over 2,000 shots. Uh, there's a better than zero chance he's going to face another 300 or 500 even in the next, you know, <laughs> until the remainder of this season because the Devils' defense is, woo, terrible. Uh, and uh, he'll pump up those save percentages and further establish himself as the guy going forward right and dom lecision who is an analyst for the athletic he does a uh, game score value added metric which combines a lot of different factors and the number one rookie right now is mackenzie blackwood he is above both of the touted defensemen that have been talked about for months now because of this recent stretch that he's had since uh, pretty much december i don't think there's any fear of him being usurped here and they have all the incentive to continue to play him as he chases marty bordeaux's rookie goaltender wins record for new jersey they have a really really tough stretch coming up as we talked about in the last couple of episodes and it's good to face that level of competition going into next year when they expect to you know i mean hopefully they expect to be more competitive they hopefully uh, address a lot of the issues on the roster itself but also have to get used to playing in those paces of games against these kinds of teams especially for blackwood now schneider you know it's good to see that he has this resurgence and it's nice like you said maybe they'll go out and chase another um free agent goaltender but it's that would be just for insurance purposes they don't necessarily need to buy out schneider given that they have a lot of cap room and you know not much to spend it on right now they don't want to have any sort of dead cap for when they are spending a lot of money and have to you know add more players on the fly right but teams are fairly creative i mean Going into this trade deadline, there were plenty of teams that went out and added players, added salary, and they were technically over the cap yeah. and only only going past it by LTIR. In fact, over half the league has somebody on LTIR. So there's a lot of teams that have additional relief. I think the only team in the quote-unquote upper end of the cap that doesn't have anybody on that uh, list is Washington for the moment. They have a whopping cap space of $191,000. Mm -hmm. uh, their current cap space is, I think, a million, actually. But, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, yeah, you don't want to have dead cap space, but the Devils have so much space. They're going to have to spend an incredible amount of money to get even close to the, to the potential ceiling of 84 to $88 million next season. And on top of that, if, if it comes to having to move Schneider, like, and giving up a pick or giving up an asset to make that happen. It's entirely doable since Schneider's near the end of his contract after this season. Um, he will only have two more seasons left on it. It's at a flat 6 million. So if there's a team out there that needs a, a goaltender and B 
cap space. Uh, there you go. So I mean, you could broker a deal with Seattle potentially too if you hold him on. He he can be exposed in the expansion draft that's coming up that's, next summer. That's right. In fact, that's don't be surprised if some of the moves that you see in this summer across the league, not just with New Jersey, are made with Seattle in mind. I I would hope that a lot of teams have learned from Las Vegas that. You need to be a little judicious about who you expose because yeah. <laughs> it could come back and bite you, Florida. Imagine if you had two scorers on your team that could help you, you know, stop floundering in the middle of the wild card race and ultimately playing yourself out of it. But I'm just saying, Dan. Yeah, so the team crafted by all the other teams in the league is about to make their third straight playoff appearance in their only three seasons in the league. So, And win a Pacific Division title. That's right. So be careful, everyone. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, like you said, people took note of that and readjusted some of their strategies. Luckily, I'm happy to say the Devils, I feel like we're not a major contributor to that, uh, given that their loss in the expansion draft was John Merrill. And yeah. uh, he is somewhere bottom pairing seventh defenseman for Vegas. Yep. So, Nobody misses John Merrill. So it's fine. What? It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> all right. And we did have a, another question as well. Yes. So the other question, this is from, do, 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 sorry about that. Uh, from ESRR. Interesting name, just four letters, not even a word uh, at deriving life. That is two words. Good job. Writes, will the Devils win out and make the playoffs? Or should I finally give up hope? <laughs> well, ESRR, I, I've got some bad news for you. Uh, for this, we're going to need a calculator. Okay, Dan, mm-hmm. we're going to do some math live on the air. Uh-huh. So as we're recording this, the Devils played and won their 67th game of the season. So they have 27 wins. They have 12 post-regulation losses, so they have a total of 66 points. They have 21 regulation wins. They got their 21st regulation win last night. And 23 ROW, or regulation overtime wins. Those are important because those are your first and second tiebreakers at the end of the season, like when everybody has the same number of games played. So, we know there are 82 games in a season. The Devils have played 67, so that means they have 15 games left in this godforsaken season. So, (laughs) Let's say for the sake of argument, Dan, that the Devils win all of these games. And just as a point, they win them all in regulation, which would be crazy. But let's <laughs> a say miracle, that. but it's happened before. They've they've had streaks of almost that long. True. Back when the team was like legitimately good and they got Patrick Eliash back to play out of his mind back in the middle of the last decade. Eleven straight to end. I think it was 2006, right? Eleven straight to end the season, then sweep the Rangers in the first round. Okay, So 15 games even. So there you go. It's not impossible, except for this Devils team, it is. (laughs) Anyway, so that would mean the Devils would earn 30 points. That would take them to – that would take them right now to 96 points with an astonishing 36 regulation wins. Mm -hmm. Now, as of right now, the wild card teams in the East right now are Columbus and the Islanders with 79 and 78 points respectively. They have – a double-digit lead on teams like New Jersey and Buffalo, and they're close to having double-digit leads over Montreal. So basically, they're they're pulling away from the rest of the pack, so to speak. If the Devils win out and win out in regulation... Oh, and have, win out against mostly playoff teams for the next month and a half. Yes, including Columbus, the Islanders twice, Carolina, the, our hated rivals, Tampa, Florida... Tampa's in there, Toronto's in there, Philadelphia's in there, Pittsburgh is in there twice. (laughs) 
And Minnesota, <laughs> who is now currently a you know just outside of the playoff spot in the the wild card in the West right now. Uh, <laughs> but, so so considering all those factors, if the Devils get to ninety six points and thirty six regulation wins, they will have a chance at a wild card spot. <laughs> However, they're going to need help and hope that other t- those teams around them, like the Columbuses, the Islanders, our hated rivals, in Carolina, they don't win out. 20 points or so, and this is crucial here, have as many regulation wins. The only way the Devils really are going to be safe, so to speak, is if they win all these games and the other teams I just mentioned, those four other teams, absolutely stink on ice and have some weird combination where they don't make it all three-point games. And that will give the Devils not only an edge, not only in points, but have the most crucial tiebreaker. So is it, you know, is it, out of the realm of mathematical possibility, ESRR, no. Is it going to happen? No. <laughs> winning 15 games for any team is hard. Uh, we're talking right after the Devils beat St. Louis, who won eight straight. St. Louis is a quality team, and they won eight straight games. They'd had an impressive run, but they couldn't win 15 straight. And I understand that our friends, not our friends, because nobody likes them. The Philadelphia Flyers, the second-rate rivals, if you will, they're on a run of 9-1-0 and in their last 10. But guess what? They're prone to dropping games as well, and they're gonna about to find out that hot streaks sometimes end pretty nastily. And when they do end, then the party can die out. <laughs> so I'm predicting the Flyers are going to fall apart a little bit. And I'm also telling you, ESR, Dan, and all of you, the people who matter, that no, that I do not believe the Devils are going to win 15 straight games in regulation. Yeah, there's really nothing that suggests that they would even come close. I mean, given the fact that they haven't won four straight at any time in the last three years, it's a bigger mountain to climb for sure. And not only are they 12 points back, but they have five different teams to leapfrog. So there's a lot going against them, and I appreciate the what I assume is sarcastic hope from uh, ESRR, but it it ain't happening this year, and they all know it, and everyone knows it. And the same way, you know, there's an article that came out about Jack Eichel's reaction to the locker room after Buffalo dropped their fourth straight game since the deadline. Now they've now lost five, and now now even with the New Jersey Devils, I just want to remind everyone that Wayne Simmons waived his no trade clause to do this. But Buffalo bought at the deadline. They thought they were going to be a playoff team. Yeah. They're not even close. And even before they were in the same exact situation the Devils are, like two games prior to that, they kind of felt the death knell of the playoffs. And it was, you know, it's a tough look for all involved. But the players know. They, they generally know mathematically when they're within range and when they're not. And at this point, I don't think any of the Devils have any aspirations or pretensions on making the playoffs this year. I think they're mostly trying to you know, play with a little bit of pride to end the season, act as spoiler, and kind of gear up for next year, see what works, what doesn't. And um, unfortunately for them, they're most likely going to have to learn. I mean, ideally, they're going to have to learn a whole new scheme going into next year. But uh, still, a little bit of pride, get the fans excited about something again. And uh, they've been showing a lot of fight in the last, last recent stretch here on the backs of the goaltenders. It's really been mostly the goaltenders that have been making this possible. Yeah, I mean, the St. Louis game that they just won is a good example of how the team had a legitimately good game. Mm -hmm. Like, Schneider played well, but it wasn't like, oh my goodness, the Devils are just leaning on their goaltender again. Um, So, I mean, those are the types of games that you can feel good about. Um, But you're absolutely right. For a lot of the last three, four weeks, a lot of these games have been 
okay, the goaltender's bailing you out of a period. <laughs> and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens from there. Yeah, but the Devils, again, we, we've talked a lot about the schedule. Enjoy the sandwiches when they're there. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't think we're, I don't think the Devils are going to be eating a whole lot uh, very soon. I hope they do tonight against our hated rivals, because, of course, they're our hated rivals. You always want to beat them. Um, but, you know, and while the Devils are indeed tied with Buffalo in points, they're on the verge of taking 25th place. They, they, if, if you want the Devils to fall back, the possibility is very much there. I'll just say that because we, we've talked about that topic to death. I brought it up on the, on the site. And speaking of the website, Dan, I have a question for you. Oh, okay. So this is about a post I put up on Friday. And I'm just going to read you out the question, and I want to hear your take about this. Mm-hmm. I, I have an answer in the post, by the way. I don't know if you read the post. Oh, I, I think I did read the post. Is this about the worst player since uh, 2007? Correct. So the question is, is John Hayden the worst <laughs> Devils, and this is the crucial part, regular skater since 2007? So when I say regular, I'm talking about somebody who's played a significant portion of the season. I'm not talking about the Luke Gazdicks or the Cam Jansons or the Andrew Peters of the of the world where they get three minutes a game and, you know, they appear like 20 times a season. We we complain about it and then we, we get proven right that they did nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm talking about guys like Hayden who play a lot and have abysmal on ice rates and abysmal levels of production and is a net negative in penalties. And you basically watch this player and go, what do you do? What can you do? Because <laughs> this is not this is not helping anybody. Yes. And so, yet and okay. yet he plays 41 games. He is on the verge, Dan, of appearing in at least half of this team's games. He's not the worst. I've read the post. He is not the the worst. Uh, I I read the post and I know who is the worst, but I won't answer that here, uh, given that we we want you guys to read it. And it's it's an interesting post. There's a lot of methodology explained in that, and there's a lot of good candidates whose names I just did not remember or really more like were pressed because uh, I did not want to remember them. But that being said, he is... Not good. I can't believe that this guy is about to get in more than half of the Devils games this season. I think some of that stems from, you know, they've had a few forward injuries here and there, but it's still not enough to justify playing him over. I guess part of it had to do with sheltering the young kids like Boquist, and then for some reason occasionally scratching guys like Brat, Zaka, and Gusev. Uh... I don't know. I feel like this staff really, really likes Hayden's level of compete and grit, and now that Simmons is gone, he's... I guess him and Severson are the only ones who are going to throw down and fight if needed, but it's not really needed. I don't really see... You know, you can find players that can fight that can actually play hockey, too. So there's definitely other players they can get who have more of an on-ice impact in terms of generating offense, and... I don't, I don't understand it. I don't pretend to understand it. I didn't understand the trade when it was made for John Quenville, but it seemed like he was in a similar position in New Jersey in terms of breaking through as a prospect. So I don't know. It just kind of felt like a nothing deal at the time. We all assumed Hayden would be some AHL throw-in who is now playing the majority of games for this team. So hopefully we don't 
see more of that next season as these young kids come up, as they got more forwards at the deadline as well, as they got more prospects filling up the pool, they shouldn't have the need to have someone like him play regular minutes. Absolutely. So, Dan, this leads me to a question that had nothing to do with Hayden <laughs> and, <laughs> and more, more, more for your just for curiosity. Mm -hmm. Who is the worst New Jersey Devils player who played a significant number of games? that you have ever seen. Maybe it is John Hayden. <laughs> I have an answer for this. You do have an answer. Okay. And Lay it this, on me. this guy, there's two answers I have for this. Oh, dear. And both answers. of these guys made me so angry growing up. And I was like, what do you even do around here? And what is your purpose? And why do we draft you in the first round? And that is Jacob Josephson and Matthias Tedenby. <laughs> I despise those guys. I really, I don't remember watching a single game where Josephson stayed on his feet the entire game. I don't remember watching a single game where Ted and B, I don't know, did anything. So to me, with my personal experience, I would like tunnel into every time Josephson tripped or flubbed with the puck. And it was very, very, very often. And I was like, I can't believe we expended first round capital to draft this guy who whose most impressive accomplishment oh no that's tedenby tedenby had a viral clip going earlier this year about a shootout attempt i believe and that's the only thing of note that i think he's done in his hockey career at least in my eyes okay well as i wrote in the post i considered more of those be guys who just underperform to expectations i mean and that kind of happens with draft picks sometimes they work out sometimes they don't and tedenby certainly didn't uh he was a classic example of a guy who he would give you like one good shift and you would remember that shift and go, wow, that was a really good shift. And then you realize he did nothing else in the other 14 or 15 he would get. And that's why he doesn't play anymore. And Yosasin, I honestly thought Yosasin wasn't terrible, but he was super injury prone. And I he think had Patrick, one skill. It was the shootout. Well, he was he was OK ish in a bunch of other things, but he just didn't have he just never put it all together is the point. And of course with the injuries, it's hard to put it all together when you can't play, but yeah, it, it definitely didn't work out. So, I mean, obviously in the post, I gave you my answer, which is yeah, Eric yeah. Bolton. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think the remarkable thing about Bolton, and this is actually a larger point about Hayden and, and Tenenbaum and Yosasin is that one or two players who were playing very, 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 very poorly or very, 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 very frustratingly, uh, below expectations in the case of Tennessee and Yosasin is that they don't alone sink a team. Now, if it was a goaltender, okay, maybe that's a bit of a different story, but a skater, one player being absolutely terrible is not enough to sink a team. However, excuse me, it can hold a team back from being as good as they potentially could be like that. 2011, 2012 team was a good team. They did good things, right, Dan? Oh Yeah. That was the last and good thing they did. <laughs> well, well, except yeah. that that one year. But yeah, it's still right. But it's remarkable that Eric Bolton played over 300, 300 minutes in that on that team. Mm -hmm. Like you look at the roster and it's like, OK, it's not exactly the 2000, 2001 Devils or the 1999, 2000 Devils. But it was still a very good roster. And Eric Bolton found his way into the lineup in a good chunk of games enough that you could remember him for him to go out there and basically do nothing, nothing positive, nothing of value. And yet he still made that roster and the team still made the playoffs. 
the Devils appropriately jettisoned him, you know, the minute they started playing meaningful games. Uh, they bought out his contract, which amazingly was a two-year contract when he was signed in 2011. I hated that signing back in July 15, 2011, and I hate it now. Yeah. He bought it out. That should tell you exactly how the Devils thought of him. You know, but one player cannot sink a team that badly. However, it is a massively a detriment when you have a roster that isn't good enough to overcome someone being that terrible. And that's sort of the situation Hayden is in. I mean, Hayden is really bad, but the team is also not good. Right. If you took Hayden out, you still have a bad hockey team. Yeah. It's just not as bad as it possibly could be. You add Hayden and you got an anchor on the ice. Even in the St. Louis game, John Hayden, when he went, whenever he was out there, St. Louis enjoyed playing against him. That compete and grit level was totally in the Blues' favor as they were in the uh, their end of the rink. And that's sort of the John Hayden experience. So that was the main reason why I wanted to bring up the post is is not just to say, oh, is John Hayden really the worst? No, he's like the second worst. And <laughs> Eric Bolton, remember him? He was terrible. Man, these nostalgia, these these member berries are awful tasting. Yeah. Why did I bring this up? No, it's to make a larger point that as bad as we can point at a skater, and I have to emphasize skater because it's a totally different realm for goalies as we have unfortunately learned over the last half decade is that uh, when a skater is truly awful, it's bad. It's definitely not good. It's definitely bad, but it's not season killing bad. Right. But when you're, but when you add that type of player to a team that just doesn't have the quality, just isn't performing level, when you have multiple players playing poorly, in addition to having quote unquote, the very worst on your roster in the, in the lineup, that's when you start having problems. And that's why, I hope that the next GM and the next next coaching staff will avoid the John Haydens of the future and also seek to make upgrades instead of just going, eh, these other guys can probably be okay. We just have to get rid of the dead weight, so to speak. No, there's more, there's more work to be done. Um, and we've got a month or so of games for those players to prove themselves since with the new GM and the new coach eventually coming in, I imagine there's going to be more than just contract uh, discussions in terms of what this roster is going to look like for next season. Yeah, and in terms of the scrapping role, which I think justified a lot of the decision-making and putting players like him and Bolton on the roster, the Bolton decision looks especially bad because they already had a fighter on the roster at that time. His name was Cam Jansen, and everyone loved him. So I No, no, I did not love him. Well, I loved him. I mean, the fans loved him for, you know, the personality. They loved him for him sticking up for his teammates on ice. He was he was electric and fun, not from a hockey perspective, but from a big personality, and he still you know visits and is a alum, proud alumnus of the Devils and the St. Louis Blues. They actually just had him on the Devils podcast as well. But, you know, if you didn't love him from a hockey perspective, as a guy, he was definitely the person who filled that role already. So the Bolton signing became doubly as baffling because they already had that in place and for some reason created competition for that spot. Right. But that gets to a larger point, however, is that you don't need those types of players anymore. Like, no. it, it, like, look at the other like even back then, back at the early part of this decade, there were still some teams that were loading up on the beef, so to speak. Lou was definitely an um, obviously he was one of them. But there were other teams in that division who also had fighters on them, even on, quote unquote, good teams. Um, and I always argued, well, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, they're not going to be fighting throughout the entire game. They're going to be playing hockey. You need good hockey players. And uh, credit to, I guess, the Devils for getting away from that. But the league as a whole has gotten away from that. You don't really have, quote unquote, fighters on your roster. 
it, it's like a lot of things like your fighter is also maybe your penalty killer or your power play guy or your guy who skates really, really fast to chase down dump in pucks only to win that race and have no one to pass it to because he's like pinned up against the end boards. Not that I'm referring to any particular devil in, in particular, Dan. Mm. Not at all. Right. There's no there's totally nobody named Miles Wood on the team. <laughs> uh, first liner, Miles Wood. First line, Mileswood. It was an effect. They actually had an effective night against St. Louis. Mm-hmm. However, I am concerned about the fact that they still did the whole, you know, we're just going to launch this puck forward or we're going to try to get Wood to get a breakaway, which by all means, give him a breakaway. But, you know, don't hope he finishes it because he didn't. Um, but, you know, you don't need those one dimensional players anymore. And that's something that the league as a whole has gotten away with. And on that list of worst players, those guys had no dimension or they had only half decent one dimension and when that wasn't good enough they got exposed at the nhl level like steve santini is a great example of this you know he could only play one way and he wasn't even good at that and the devil and in this day and age uh the whole point of playing defense is not to keep playing defense you're not on a you're not supposed to turn five on five into a penalty kill and uh you know that's something that we've seen from the devils this season and we you know we associated correctly as being bad defense well santini was a representative of that in one player. Um, not that when he was replaced by Subban effectively, that uh, it got better because under Nazardine it's gotten worse. Um, but yeah, those types of you know beefy fighting enforcer goonish type players are just gone. And um, but so in, a, in that sense, Hayden's being so terrible is almost special in that sense because you know he's not really an enforcer; he's just terrible. And the Devils keep giving him games. And we have to keep watching him, Dan. And it's terrible. Why? Well, what so did we do, what did we do to deserve John Hayden? So I, I think the missing factor here is that, you know, the on ice performance being what it is, it was very clear that those kinds of guys are usually the ones that are, you know, there for keeping the locker room together and adding a little bit of uh, levity in especially tough seasons. Like anyone who's ever talked about, for example, Jansen or Reeves or anyone like that has mentioned that their big presence is in the locker room. And the psychology of it is not something that we often think about. You know, at the end of the day, these are all human beings and they'd like some some good times in the locker room as well. That doesn't right, necessarily so- translate into on-ice results, but they are very, you know, very much glue guys. Like th- there's people, obviously, there's players with on ice value that are also good in the locker room are good leaders that way. But I, I think they just brought something different to, to the locker room experience and kind of helped the team gel a little uh, off the ice, which, you know, if you know your teammates better, if you have better chemistry with them, you're going to play better. So I think there's some stuff that we may not see on the fan perspective that, GMs, when talking to these players, when hearing other players' opinions on them, they may say, okay, there is some sort of value to this. It may not be manifested all on the ice, but it's something that I know that our locker room would be happier if this person was here. And again, this is we'll we'll say what we want because all we see is the on ice stuff and we've gotten more of a behind the scenes look in recent years with all these podcasts coming out talking to players and uh, learning about the the personal experience of being a hockey player but i think that's something that can't be discounted now when it comes well, as an active detriment to the team winning games that's a different story but i think there is something there has to be something there to justify this well a lot of those justifications are garbage i mean look mm-hmm. at the devils like the Devils are 
fighting for 25th at this point. Like right. their season was over months ago. So whether or not John Hayden is a glue guy or some other players, a glue guy or good in the room is like, so what's the point? Like, you know, your on ice stuff is detrimental and the team's not good. So where's the value? Where's the help here? I understand that, you know, players are humans and it's always good to have a positive work environment. But if such a guy's only value is that, then make him an assistant coach or something, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't have to play them, you know, or, or better yet, you know, keep him on as a guy, as a 13th forward and, you know, don't play him that much. Like, you know, there, there's no reason why you need to play the Eric Boltons of the world, you know, 30 plus games only to find out that, yeah, th- this guy is actually really awful at the game of ice hockey and he's not helping us because um, that's what these guys are getting paid for. If you're getting paid to be a quote unquote locker room, um, you know, I don't know what term you want to use here. Morale person. I'll say that, you know, good for morale, so to speak. Fine. But, you know, to your you know, the whole point is to put together you're kind of limited to 18 guys a night in terms of skaters and two goaltenders. So, you know, keeping a guy on is just as an extra is a roster spot you could use for someone else or someone who could be useful if called upon as necessary. And you're paying the guy to perform, to play hockey. Like that's the whole point of paying players to play. So find players that are good and be good in the locker room or be at least decent or at least halfway decent. Cause you know, there's a lot of good guys in the NHL, I imagine, you know, just like in a lot of professions, there's a lot of people that, you know, are pleasant to be around and they're generous and they're kind and they'll listen to you. But that doesn't mean they they have a right to a job. <laughs> and that's 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 kind of my larger my larger beef with this this notion of, yeah, I don't I don't know what it's like in the locker room, but I can't imagine there's a lot of super happy people that the devils are, uh, you know, they're playing they're playing out until April 4th and they're done for a second straight season and they're. Um, they're, oh goodness, I, I don't want to count it out right now because it's going to make me sad. Uh, like sixth or seventh time since the Halcyon days of the early part of last decade. Like, great, you, you tell a joke in the locker room and people laugh, you know, woo, that's not worth $700,000. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I see where you're coming from. I'm just saying that it's not the only factor that probably contributes to their presence there, but if it's at the point where it's, actively detrimental then yes it's time to consider an alternative but um it's he's not the only one that's been bad as you mentioned he didn't sink the team single-handedly it kind of is a symptom of a bigger problem oh yeah Um, and i don't know how the analytics guys looked at that trade and were like yeah this this looks fine and i'm wondering if that was part of that divide that we read about between Ray Shiro and upper management's selected analytics hires. Well, it remains to be seen and we will know better who the next GM is and, uh, you know, which direction they go in after the season. Since I really cannot imagine the devil's thinking about retaining John Hayden. He's a, he's an RFA. So, I mean, keeping him would not be difficult. Um, I don't know why, you would want to do that uh <laughs> you know yeah. same with Mirko Mueller but uh, stranger things have unfortunately happened that being said Dan do you have any final thoughts as we head uh, into the fourth to last week of the 2019-20 season for the New Jersey Devils yeah I'm enjoying watching these games because they have relatively low stress it's uh very low stakes and it's disappointing to not be involved in the playoff chase 
and all that, but it's it's kind of fun to play spoiler and see what happens and also scoreboard watch around the league, given where the Devils are going to be drafting this year. I'm uh, pretty ready to see what happens next. I've, I've seen this season, I can straight up say that it was directly out of any nightmare I could have imagined for how this would go, and I'm ready for it to be over and to move <laughs> on. Talk about the, the draft, potentially the lottery is happening on April 9th, it seems, and there's a lot more to look forward to in the long-term future than in the short-term future. Absolutely. So we will trudge on as the games run out. All right, and we'll join you uh, back in the beginning of next week. We'll recap some of these surprising results and not surprising results and i'm sure our mood our mood will be a lot better or worse depending on how they do tonight against the new york rangers so we'll cross our fingers hope they can carry over some of this positive momentum and we'll catch you guys next week on garden state of hockey thanks for listening